everyone. Welcome to Performing the Arts episode six of season three. My name, as always, is Brian M. Davis. Joining me today is Anthony Stark. That is, that's how you pronounce the name, right? Yes. All right. Because I, there's like this, it's like, I'm kind of like very hard to read names sometimes. So I'm just kind of like, is the E silent or is the E right there? But it's like Stark, like, yeah, like Tony Stark. Yeah, I know. That's correct. Um, yeah. Uh, the, that's actually one of the first questions I want to know. Is ha have people actually made the Iron Man joke to you like more often than not? Um, yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, uh, but that really started like when I was in third grade because when I was a kid, there was a, a, a series of uh, comics based on the Marvel uh, characters. And um, there, was a, uh, uh, there was an Iron Man um, cartoon like a Saturday yeah. morning style cartoon. And uh, my first movie was Nothing in Common. And it was starring uh, Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason and uh, directed by Gary Marshall. And when I first met Tom Hanks, um, Gary introduced me to Tom Hanks. And uh, Tom Hanks immediately started singing the theme song to the cartoon. Oh, that's which I amazing. Thought was, was, which I thought was funny. And... Um, uh, and then, of course, you know, when the big trilogy of movies came out, then, you know, when I first saw the first Iron Man movie, you know, and, and you know, uh, uh, Jeff Bridges had lines like, you know, what the hell is wrong with you? Tony Stark built this thing in a cave. Hey, with a bunch of scraps, you know? yeah. Yeah, with a bunch of scraps. And I'm sitting in the back row thinking, yeah, that's right, mofo, you know, and uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting to hear my own name constantly like brought up in this movie. But um Fortunately, it's not been a problem because yeah. that Tony Stark is fictional and my existence uh, remains largely uncontested. Yeah. Uh, that actually, because I know Nicolas Cage, uh, like his name is essentially a screen name because he didn't want to use, oh, his Coppola, Coppola. last name. Yeah, his yeah. Coppola last name. So he used Cage as, because Luke Cage was his favorite character. And so when you were starting, did you, especially as an actor, did you figure, okay, am I use my real, should I use my real name or should I use a stage name? No, because uh, it was, it was uh, a, a, a very obscure little fun fact oh, you know, okay. when, I, when I joined the Screen Actors Guild in 1984. So no, that would not be a, a factor. And, you know, and uh, I was named after my grandfather. And oh, nice. it's, it's, a, it's an old family name. And uh, I wouldn't want to change my name, you know, for, for something like that. And the thing is, you know, when it became like, you know, when, uh, uh, you know, when, when I go by Tony, it, it becomes billboarded. When I, my professional name is Anthony, it really sort of, yeah. um, you know, can be kind of glossed over. But when I was doing stand-up for a while, I specifically went by Tony Stark just so people wouldn't forget the name, uh, you know, so it was actually a benefit to me, so... So, how did you get into acting? Uh, well, I'd always I, I'd always been interested in television and films growing up, and uh, by the time I was twelve, I ha had my first time on stage. Uh, you know, um, in a big school variety show where I basically was doing stand up. You know, and you know, in front of like seven hundred people, and it went very well. Oh, you know, and uh, um, and then you know, I did plays all through high school. And um, at the high school and at the community theater in uh, Antioch, Illinois. And um, 
And then I won a scholarship to Marquette University uh, for performing arts uh, that I competed for. Um, the, uh, the performer and piano player Liberace was from Milwaukee and he had donated a bunch of money to Marquette oh, wow. for a performing arts scholarship. And uh, so when I was sort of first matriculating sort of, you know, or looking to uh, go to Marquette and I was touring the campus, I happened to walk into the theater and uh, Joyce Karcher, who was our secretary there, she mentioned to me, you know, we're, we're having auditions on Saturday. It's the first year they're having this big scholarship audition on Saturday and kids come from all over the country or all over the Midwest anyway, um, and are going to audition for it. And you have to prepare two monologues and then there's some improvisation and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, maybe you can come by Saturday. And I thought, oh, wow, okay. So I got together with my uh, high school drama teacher, uh, Ken Smouse, and um, we, uh, you know, put together two monologues that I had done, one from uh, As You Like It, uh, Shakespeare monologue, and one from The Matchmaker, Thornton Wilder, mm. one, one, you know, one classical and one contemporary or semi-contemporary. Yeah. And, you know, because uh, I had to kind of pull it out of my back pocket, so I went with two monologues I already knew. And um, showed up on Saturday, and, you know, long story short, I won this uh, scholarship, and that's why I became a theater major. And, um, you know, and then my junior year at Marquette, um, you know, there was all this activity going on in Chicago all of a sudden for young actors, all these John Hughes movies and stuff like that. And, yeah. you know, my, my uh, you know, the, they were making The Breakfast Club and all this kind of thing. And my sense of, you know, FOMO, my fear of missing out was through the roof. And so I, I managed through a series of maneuvers, managed to get myself down to Chicago, you know, um, and meet a casting director, uh, you know, Jane Alderman, um, and um, got a little audition with her and she started bringing me in for things. And I would commute from school in Milwaukee down to Chicago for these auditions, about a two hour wow. drive down, down the I-94. And, um, you know- Is this a weekly second, thing? Was not like necessarily. Oh, no, okay. not necessarily. I mean, it was sporadic, but you know, ah. my junior year in college, I, I got cast in a um, movie of the week for CBS called First Steps and uh, uh, starring Judd Hirsch. And, uh, you know, that got me my SAG card and got me started. And then, um, after you know, so that was junior year. It aired my senior year. You know, I finished up school. Between junior and senior year, I was actually able to make my living as an actor doing theater yeah. uh, uh, at the Wisconsin Shakespeare Festival. And, um, you know, after I, I graduated, I was, my plan was to be a Chicago theater actor, but then uh, Gary Marshall came to town casting Nothing in Common. And um, I managed to kind of BS my way into that movie. And uh, it took us all, a bunch of Chicago actors, a lot of Second City veterans and stuff, took us all out to... Uh, um, after we finished shooting exteriors in Chicago, took us all out to uh, um, L.A., um, where they put us up at the Sunset Marquee Hotel, and we finished interior shooting at Raleigh Studios. And after that, I just stayed to see what would happen. You know, one thing led to another, and I, I started working out here. Nice. Uh, could you tell me more about Chicago theater? Because I know, because... I think Chicago theater is sort of like a third in theater in terms of like, because I you know, there's New York theater, which is more like Broadway or Broadway, that, that sort of thing. In LA, it's sort of geared towards 
movies and casting calls boats, that sort of thing. But in Chicago, I know there's Second Stage. I mean, it, no, I mean, no, that's my old job. Sorry. Second City and uh, what's the other one? Well, look, you know, I would, I have, let me disagree with you on one thing. I don't think, I don't think that we're number three in theater in the United States. I think we're number two behind um, New York. And um, oh, okay. the, the name you, the name I think you were struggling to remember was Steppenwolf. Um, yeah. You know, they're a very, very famous theater, John Malkovich, Gary Sinise and all those guys. And um, Gary Cole, um, you know, on and on and on. Um, Lori Medcalf. Who I've, who I've met because she was a sort of a theater mentor to Gary Marshall. It's interesting. He kind of did it in the reverse of most people. He was a huge thing in television, directed movies, and then he became fascinated and fell in love with the theater and, yeah. you know, founded the Falcon theater where I worked with him um, right before he died. Um, uh, you know, so I had a long relationship with Gary um, and it's now called the Gary Marshall theater. But um and particularly with the Steppenwolf, but also with the Goodman and uh, Robert Falls, the artistic director of the Goodman, with whom I've also worked. There's been a lot of productions that originated in Chicago yeah. and then found their way to New York and had great success in New York. So it's sort of it's sort of a pipeline for, for new material, you know, and then there are other, you know, great Chicago playwrights like Tracy Letts and um, yeah. uh, Rebecca Gilman, who I worked with, you know, um, at the Goodman. But... Um, you know, you know, the reason I don't think L.A. theater, you know, is really um, at, at the level of Chicago theater is because it's not a theater town. People aren't here to do theater, understandably, because um, yeah. it's the film and television capital of the world. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of there, there until the equity rules changed, you know, around 99 seat theaters and stuff like that. There was a lot of just like showcasing and stuff like that people wanting to be seen by casting director for TV and film and stuff like that. Now, that being said, there are, uh, you know, traditionally great theaters in LA, you know, but it's a lot of touring companies say coming through the Pantages or things like that. But you know, the Amundsen, um, the Mark Taper forum and all this kind of stuff. If you really want to get like to a le legit, um, like repertory company, um, you know, that's, that's in the LA area. I, I feel like the closest one you'd, you'd want to get to is where I've worked also, which is South Coast Repertory in Costa Mesa, which is in Orange County. But that's like a, that was a tough theater work because if you live in Hollywood, you got to drive an hour each way, yeah. you know, and uh, to get there. And when you're doing eight shows a week, that can be difficult. But, um, um, but yeah, it's Chicago is a theater town. And my experience with Chicago, Chicago theater actually came much later when I went back and I was back in living in Illinois between 2004, 2006. And when I was there, um, I did the first season of prison break. That was a, a, a nice. TV job and managed to, to get, I was recurring on that for a while until they killed my character off. But then I also worked at Chicago Shakespeare and um, at the Goodman theater, huh. uh, working with Robert Falls as the director, Rebecca Gilman was the playwright and it was a, it was a contemporary reimagining, brilliant, a brilliant play by Rebecca Gilman called Dollhouse, which was a, a, a contemporary reimagining of A Doll's House by Henrik Ibsen. And um, great cast, great Chicago actors in that one, um, like Lance Baker and, and a bunch of other great Chicago actors. And, but I also got to work opposite Maggie Sith, who you probably know from uh, Sons of Anarchy and Billions, yeah. you know, and, um, 
so I yeah that and Chicago Shakespeare uh, Chicago Shakespeare and then uh, by 06 I was already heading back here to LA wow that's a lot of stuff I don't know it's like I always knew that Chicago had like their own Broadway but I didn't know how fast it was in terms of their Broadway because I know you know it's like, it's like there's a lot of little theaters in Chicago but there, yeah. there's a lot of little equity houses there you know and um, you know, there are ones that are big enough to pay people something like Steppenwolf, like the Goodman, like Chicago Shakespeare, I think Looking Glass, which I think uh, David Schwimmer is very closely affiliate, affiliated with. I don't know all of them. I really just know the ones I've worked with. But um, yeah, I mean, but there's, you know, it's a, it's a tough kind of little environment in a way because there's really just a handful of theaters that, that pay you enough to make a living. And um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of back and forth between the executive directors of the theater and Actors' Equity in that town, and where Actors' Equity have kind of surrendered um, their um, um, MREs, which are more remunerative employment outs of contract, which is to say that, like, you, if you're rehearsing a play, um, you can get out of it for a period and your understudy will take over without any, you know, penalty or whatever to you. If you get, for example, a guest spot or a recurring role, say on Chicago PD or something, gotcha. you know, because an, a, a local actor there can make, you know, uh, um, you know, as much with a good guest starring role on something like that in, 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 in a week or so that it would take months to make in the theater, you know? Yeah. So I think, you know, um, if they haven't corrected that, you know, my union should correct that because I think that needs to be an option for Chicago actors to be able to yeah. step out to take television and film work because everyone's got to eat. And, you know, there's such a, there's an embarrassment of riches in Chicago in terms of the talent. And they all have understudies, you know, and the understudies are great. So yeah. give them a turn at bat, you know? So, but yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a completely different culture there, but it's very centered around the theater. And the other, and, and also the other thing you were thinking of is Second City, you know, yeah. the, uh, the, the improv so, group that goes all the way yeah. back to the 50s. Yeah. And I was also thinking of UCB, but I wasn't sure if UCB was also in Chicago. UCB, UCB is much more an LA thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I know UCB. And I, 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 I played with an improv group for a couple of years called uh, Comedy Sports, uh, all one word, but with a Z at the end for sports. Comedy sports, uh, um, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a national league, and they have tournaments and stuff like that. It's very very funny stuff and also very clean. And uh, my best friend James Bailey, uh, he started the comedy sports LA chapter, um, like over thirty years ago. Oh, and wow. I was, you know, not quite an original company member, but almost. I'm sort of like one of the OG members of comedy sports. I played with them when we were like, for example. Uh, the headliners Sunday nights at the Ice House, which was fun. Uh, so you mentioned comedy, and I know for the, I want to say most of your, I'll just say it later, most of your work as an actor have been very comedic works. Like I was just talking to you about We Possessed before, and uh, you mentioned Gary Marshall, you know, stuff like that. Did you ever think that you were going to have a steady career in comedy or was it just like, like almost by happenstance where it's like the, 
it just happened to be in a path that worked towards like very comedic roles. Um, look, you know, uh, I, I approach being an actor like you would approach being a good musician. You know, you got, you got to be able to play the music that's in front of you, you know, and you got to, before you get into this as a profession, you got to hone your chops to the point where you, you can, you can play just about anything, you know, and you can, you can play it by ear, you can sight read it, you can, you know, whatever. And um, uh, playing comedy, playing drama are just different ways of acting. And good actors, you know, um, do, oath, do both fairly handily, you know, and they just know what the tone of the moment is and they know how to lean into it, you know. And um, a good example um, uh, is uh, Brian Cranston. Yeah. Um, you know, he happened to have his big breakthrough doing a fairly heavy drama with Breaking Bad. But, you know, I met him when we were both doing Seinfeld and, you know, he was, he was playing the pervy dentist, Dr. Tim, and I was playing Jimmy, the guy who was always refers to himself in the third person. That's where yeah. I met him. You know, and that was just like in a, in a moment where we were both doing comedy, you know, yeah. because we both knew how. Um, and um, it's another way to work is if you really understand comedy, um, you know, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of work to be had because there's a lot of good actors that just don't get it. They yeah. don't know how to do it particularly well. And it's another thing you have to study. And I spent my childhood growing up in the 70s studying the masters of, 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 of comedic acting. Not stand-up comedy so much, although I, I've always loved that also, or even sketch comedy, but comedic acting in, in a real role. Carol O'Connor, uh, Mary Tyler Moore, and the entire cast of that show, you know, um, you know, Dick Van Dyke. Uh, yeah, all, all these people that, that I, I would sort of study and see how they could manage to be funny while staying anchored in the part. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then uh, in terms of Brian Cranston, you know, he, uh, after that, he, he got a little bit famous doing Malcolm in the Middle and all this kind of stuff. But the reason he got Breaking Bad it was not because of any of that. It was because um, when uh, uh, the creator of he did an X he did an X Men yeah. episode and Vince Gilligan yeah I, I'm sorry uh, not X Men X Files he did an X Files episode and Vince Gilligan um, I guess had written that episode even though Chris Carter was the showrunner I think uh, Vince Gilligan you know that was his episode you know as writer yeah um, and um, he remembered this thing Cranston had where he could play both sides of the coin in terms of good guy, bad guy, which was yeah. very important making that transition from Walter White to Heisenberg, right? And so he got, he like clung to him, you know? And that's sometimes what it takes for an actor to get a real breakthrough is for uh, um, uh, uh, either an executive producer, showrunner, or say in features, a director to be really doggedly determined to have a certain actor because he knows he can deliver something really specific. And that's what happened with Cranston, I think, because they wanted to get anybody else they could. You know, of course, Matthew um, Broderick and John Cusack and the usual people are trying to get to do a series, you know, passed on it. And I think they finally relented and say, okay, have your guy. It's sort of like, I also know Ron Perlman because I worked with him on The Magnificent Seven and also on Hand of God for Amazon. And Guillermo del Toro basically refused to cast anybody else but Hellboy for about a couple of years. Yeah. 
You know, he held up production for a couple of years until the, and he was very nice about it. He didn't argue with the studio heads. They said, oh, we want you to meet with so-and-so. And he said, he would say, fine, and have a meeting, you know? Because there are, because there are directors who work with certain actors and once they know how well they are and once they know like they're, I won't well, say they're, 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 they're like once they click, like once they click as both actor and character, they kind of like- There, there is, there's that, there's, there's, there's the chemistry between the, the, the actor and the character, the, you know, the actor and the director and all this kind of stuff. But there's sometimes a character that's so specific. I mean, think about Hellboy, right? Yeah. You know, there's something so specific about that, that in his head, he didn't think, he didn't think anybody else could do it. You know, yeah. so there, there's, that, that, there's that kind of thing, that kind of tenacity that led to that kind of breakthrough. But anyway, um, I think a, a, a good actor should be handy with both. You know, uh, yeah. one of my favorite actors is my friend Sam McMurray. You know, like he's great at both. You know, um, another actor who I don't know, but who's a friend of Sam's, who I was just watching again recently on the new Perry Mason on, H on HBO, which is fantastic, uh, a guy named Stephen Root. You know, you look into his, oh. his curriculum, Vichy, He's he's kind of genius level at what everything he does yeah. out the gate, and sometimes it's it's like very heavy stuff and scary stuff like what he was doing in Get Out, and and there's sometimes there's stuff that is goofball fall down funny stuff like in Oh Brother Where Art Thou, like and yet in in both characters he was playing a blind guy, yeah, but one was leaning into the the you know the the menace of this character. And, and one was leaning into, into the comedy, you know, yeah. and it, it, it is, it's just about having the skill to know which way to shift your weight. Yeah. And Stephen Root actually brings up a good point because uh, he's in the TV show Barry and Bill Hader's the same thing where he is known for doing great physical comedy and great humor. But once you see him do the dramatic stuff, he is supremely talented in what he does. So he's an amazing is, impressionist too. Yeah. So there's. Something I mean, his, about, his, impre his, his impression, Bill Hader's impression of Alan Alda, to me, is almost spooky. You know, yeah, because he's, it, it, he, you could close your eyes and you're like, oh my god, that's exactly what he sounds like. Yeah, because there are actors who do so well with both comedy and drama at the same time, where it's just like, it's almost like an art form because, like we just said with Stephen Root. I've known him for years of playing Jimmy James on news radio and Jimmy James was always like a buffoon station owner who was always like, he's like a very pretentious billionaire, but he's also like a kind of like a, he's an idiot too. But then I would see his work with, you know, office space where he's just playing the buffoon again. But then there are other roles where he's just like, he has that, he, like he's able to switch it from a, okay, I can play from very comedic role, funny roles, but if you want me to play a very serious role, I can't play a very serious well, role. Well, you know, and that's because, you know, if you look into his life, I, was, I, was, I kind of looked into his bio a little bit recently when I watched Perry Mason, you know, and my friend Sam had mentioned that Stephen had just been over to his house. I'm like, yeah, I wonder what, what his background was like. He, I don't think he stepped in, in front of a camera until he was like, like around 37. Wow. Okay. He spent all these years in the theater, like high level theater, classical theater, um, you know, touring companies with like legendary actors and actresses. You get to a point where you really understand your job at that point, you know? Yeah. And so to, to get back to your original question, like was I leaning toward comedy or drama? I was leaning toward working, you know, yeah. and, and using I, my ability to be funny, to improvise, to, 
tease something funny out of a line that maybe isn't all that hilarious, you know, to get the comedy work. And for a long time, I was kind of rolling in that direction. You tend to get cast based on the last thing you did. So I did, you know, uh, between 1985 and 2000, I did a lot of sitcoms. Yeah. You know, probably a couple hundred episodes of this, that, and the other thing. You know, because I was also a series regular on some things you may not have seen, like One Big Family, the show I did when I first got out here with the great Danny Thomas, legendary uh, uh, comedian, actor, uh, producer, uh, who you mentioned the Dick Van Dyke show, Danny Thomas produced that, produced the Andy Griffith show, produced, you know, uh, Mod Squad, on and on. Um, he also founded St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which is oh, wow. pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, but I started out with him, you know, we, I did 25 episodes of that show alone. I was the lead in that show. And um, um, I was also the lead on a short-lived series that David Zuckerman did, um, guy who, uh, uh, you know, later did King of the Hill and other shows um, called uh, The Last Frontier. But it kind of came and went on Fox, like a lot of, a lot of these things do. Yeah. And, um, but then, you know, getting toward, you know, around the millennium, things, you know, sitcoms took a kind of, they, they, there was a period there before Chuck Lorre kind of came along and started reviving sitcoms to a certain degree. Yeah. And, um, you know, and other people like my friend Carrie Lizer, you know, with uh, New Adventures of Old Christine, people were really, you know, bringing back the, the you know, the traditional multi-camera live audience sitcom, you know, particularly yeah. at, uh, at CBS. But there was, a, there was a lull in there, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, where it seemed like it was going more to the, to the back burner a little bit. And so I kind of shifted over more in the direction of drama. And because I'd done two dramas in a row, the Magnificent Seven and uh, another series that didn't last long at NBC called Cold Feet, which had a little bit of comedy in it, but it was basically a, a drama, a relationship show. And, um, but then I kind of started shifting into like playing a lot of bad guys on, on, you know, what I call dead body shows like uh, <laughs> C CSI and, uh, you know, Crossing Jordan and, you know, stuff like that where I was playing, um, you know, um, these sociopaths in really expensive suits and stuff like that. These villains of the week where it's just like, okay, I'm just going to be a, a villain for the week and that's about yeah. it. So it was like, yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, you mentioned The Magnificent Seven and I know that's a show that I want to, I was looking that up at like uh, just the other night because I got to do my research and everything. And I was like, it was a syndication show, right? It was like one of those no, shows. No, it was on CBS. Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah. And it was a Western too, so, and I liked it, and I do like Westerns, so I've seen a Western show in in the 90s, it, it was kind of weird because Westerns in the 90s, it kind of was getting a resurgence thanks to, uh, thanks in part to like Food and Eastwood stuff, especially about Unforgiven. So, but when they were in, on TV, they were like almost like throwbacks to the Westerns in like the 1960s, especially on TV. Uh, from your experience of working on the show, because I know you were talking about before that being on a show is essentially like working on a film, but per episode. So uh, just like, is working on a, okay, sorry, my, my mind goes a lot, like very, it has a very, weird way of answering questions, but in terms of your experience, 
has working on TV shows as the main part of the cast been like similar to a movie where it's like, okay, we do episode one and that's like maybe one week and then episode two next week, so forth and so on. We do a table read in advance to make sure how the thing is, uh, read the script, especially right before you do this, uh, right before you do a uh, episode, right? It's like, hey, we have the script, but we did a little rewriting, so you got to learn the lines. My question is, filming the TV shows, especially as a main cast members, were there were there like the same trials and tribulations you would have with a movie, like making a movie that's like say, hey. We have a month or so, like a month or two to shoot a movie. Would this same problem still factor in with making a TV show? No, it's it's different because because simply because it keeps going on and on. You know, when you're when you're when you're making a movie, you know, you get a certain chunk of it done or a certain section done. You know, a certain location shot out. Um, it's 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 history. Yeah. You know, you move on, and then when that movie wraps people scatter and you may never see them again. You know, um, when you have a, a series, I'm not, I, I've never had the good fortune of being on a series that goes for years and years. Um, but you know, you, you've got to, you've got to find a way to get along with people, you know, and to um, effectively, respectfully, uh, and, and um, proactively address concerns about the show and where it's going and, and uh, you know, and it's nice to be able to work for and with producers who you can say, is this really where we want to take it? You know, it's because it's up to them, but you, you do have a voice and you can't, if you're one of the leads, you can say, is this really, you know, where we want to go with this or where are you going with this and, and this kind of thing, you know, and you got to get along with your co-stars and stuff like that. Otherwise the whole thing can really fall apart just uh, because of uh, people not getting along, you yeah. know? So th that becomes a huge factor. Uh, in terms of that show though, uh, especially since it was a Western, how many, uh, were the sets essentially like, I'm trying, because I know this Magnificent Seven does the whole thing where they're all defending a town, that's what I think first, it's like, it's one town. So was it, did you mainly film on a, like a singular set or did you film a location like every so often? Like every other episode, be like, oh, just be on location. Well, we, we, we primarily shot at a place called Melody Ranch, which I think was um, uh, founded by Gene Autry, the uh, singing cowboy guy. Um, and, uh, it's a Western town. So many things have been shot there. Okay. Oh, okay. De Deadwood, everything else, whatever, you know, tons and tons of stuff. That was our main street, you know, cause it's, it's a Western town street. It's, it's, it's a big outdoor set, you know, and um, the way those sets are, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's, it'll say general store, you open the yeah. general store, you walk in, but you know, and it looks all, you know, uh, complete from the outside, but you walk in and there's nothing behind it, just a flat board, you know, that says general store on it. And some have interior sets built, usually the saloon or places where you're going to spend a lot of time. Um, if that didn't work, we usually went to other exterior locations, other ranches and places around there. But basically, 
you know, when you're doing a Western, you're shooting outdoors. I mean, if you watch Yellowstone or something like that, they've got, what do they got? They've, they've got, you know, a couple of houses, these like big, you know, like palatial log cabin style homes that uh, those characters live in because the Costner character, you know, is very wealthy yeah. and has this humongous, like, you know, it's like a state within a state size ranch. Um, but basically when you're working on a show like that, and I've been, I've been watching the show, it's a great show. It's the same experience as we had. You're basically outdoors all the time, which is great. You know, um, I don't know if I'd want to be doing that in the winter in Montana, but uh, for us, you know, it, the only problems we had is when it got too hot. Um, huh. But uh, you're basically outdoors all the time, you know, and, um, and uh, that's uh, kind of the fun of it, you know, riding horses and shooting guns and kissing pretty girls and going home, you know, nice. Indeed. Uh, so, and you mentioned before, and speaking of t TV, you mentioned before that you kind of like played a villain of the week, uh, that sort of thing, and you played guest star, you know, guest starring roles. Uh, in your experience, do you prefer doing guest starring roles or being in like a lead TV show? Or is it basically the same thing where it's just like, I prefer being a series regular on a series because okay. you have a contract, um, you know, uh, you have a little bit of employment security. If the show's a hit, you're a hit with it and uh, you make a ton more money. So yeah, I'd, I'll take that anytime I can get it. You know, it's just, those jobs are not easy to come by. Yeah. Uh, is there a, different, a difference between a recurring character on a TV show that kind of like pops up like say, six times or maybe 12 times uh, a season or maybe depending on the thing compared to like a guest star where they only pop up like maybe once or twice. Yeah, you work, you work 11 more episodes. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good answer. Yeah. yeah, but you know, when you're recurring, it, the contracts are episode by episode. Oh, it's okay. a guest star followed by another guest star followed by a next guest star. So like if you're in episode one and then they don't have you in episode two and you come back for episode three, you sign a whole new contract that's just for that episode. So that's the difference between, the real question you know, that you would wanna ask, I think, is not the difference between a guest star and a recurring character, because the, the difference there is you're just a guest star more often. Yeah. The, there's a, the difference between a recurring character and a series regular is that you have a contract. You're guaranteed a certain number of episodes and a, and, um, and a hell of a lot more money. Yeah, I think I was probably where I was saying that, but my mind it goes into a very weird direction when it goes into asking questions. Uh, in terms, I think back to the theater stuff, uh, it, it's weird how, I, especially since the theater, I've been working with theater for the past, like, say, I want to say half my, the, the past half decade or so, so it's been like a wild ride, especially for the past, like, year or so. And especially since the fact that, you know, most of the theaters that I know of have been closed down because of COVID. Uh, do you see, and I know from, uh, and I know that there are theaters in here, and especially in New York City, that are trying to survive because of, you know, the, the theater closes and all that stuff. Post, if there is a thing called post-COVID, even though there isn't really a thing, uh, do you see uh, the theaters, especially, the, you know, actual theaters where it's like an actual bounce back to 
where it was previously or do you see yeah, of like course a, yeah 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 i know what you're getting at of course it'll yeah. come back <laughs> you know it's been around since fucking aristophanes pardon my french i mean oh, theater's not going course. anywhere you know they're they're the theater's not going anywhere because of COVID. It's a matter of how long will it take, you know, and which ones will manage to keep from going under or resurrect themselves. My, my friend James Bailey is going through the same thing, you know, because, you know, comedy sports up until COVID had been the longest continuously running theatrical production in LA history. Okay, hmm. little fun fact for you. I mean, you don't have many plays running for over 32 years. He's been around longer than UCB in a lot of places, you know. Um, but, uh, um, you know, in Groundlings, for example, it's different shows moving in and out. Comedy sports is comedy sports. Yeah. And um, um, so, you know, he's going to have a, a heck of a challenge if he wants to sort of resurrect Comedy Sports LA because they've been dark. You know, they'll end up being dark for like a year, probably. Yeah. You know, um, my, if, if I were to guess, I'm thinking March, April, will probably have a, some kind of uh, safe and effective vaccine. You know, and then people will, you know, be able to congregate in crowds and stuff like that. Um, and, um, you know, so the theater will be, be coming back. It's just going to be a Herculean task that's, that may take years to rebuild. You yeah. know, um, some, in some places will come back better than others. You know, if you've got like really well-funded, sponsored theaters, repertory companies and things like that, that, that have a war chest for this, that, and the other thing, and perhaps they'd been, you know, um, uh, you know, stockpiling money for certain fantasy productions that they had in mind. They're going to have to set those aside, but they'll maybe have enough capital to just get going again, yeah. you know, with more bare bones productions and things like that. So, um, you know, the theater will come back, of course. It's, it, it's just a matter of when, you know, it, but it'll be hard and it'll take a long time. Uh, picking, up, uh, picking back up on comedy sports, could you explain a lot more about what comedy sports was or still is? Well, it's, a, it's, it's, it's just a very specifically structured improv show where you have two teams competing with each other, where they're, ah. they're sort of given a similar challenge and then the audience votes about like who really, who really nailed it and you know, who was funnier, that, that kind of thing basically. Ah, okay. So it's basically a contest between two teams, and it's yeah. basically given the same, uh, given one. The same, it's given the same, a similar improv challenge, yeah. Ah, okay. You know. Uh, yeah. Uh, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm trying my best to uh, remember any other questions I have. I feel like I'm, like, almost tapped out with questions, but. All right. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you for joining me today on my uh, podcast. Uh, oh, there we go. I have, I do have three more questions, just fairly easy ones. Uh, to those who are watching at their convenience, my audience members either on YouTube right now or just listening, uh, do you have any advice to those who are, to, to my audience members? Just a general about advice what, to about about what? Oh, about acting in the, about acting theater about acting or just just advice if someone who is becoming an actor or someone who is just coming in theater I mean in entertainment just advice where it's just like something to yeah get. yeah yeah okay um, all right number one it's a job 
know your job. Okay, this is not about I'm going to go out to LA or New York and become famous. That's 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 nonsense and it's crazy, you know. And all those those cliche stories are just ridiculous. It's a job. Learn your job. Study it. Work at it. Um, do local theater and then expand out from there. I started out, you know, at the PM&L Theater in Antioch, Illinois, a local community theater very kind of small environment, very small pond, but there were a lot of very committed, talented artists who, many of whom could have gone to Broadway or Hollywood, but just didn't, didn't want to roll the dice with, of their life in that direction. So they, you know, so work local and get good at what you do. And then, you know, make a foray into the nearest largest city, you know, um, Maggie Siff, for example, worked for years in Philadelphia, you know, you know, as she was like patiently, you know, honing her chops, you know, and, 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 and uh, honing her craft, um, you know, and then, you know, see how it develops from there. But don't, because you like the idea of being an actor, just come out to LA, you yeah. know, and, and get a headshot done and, and, and try to make something happen that way. Um, it, it doesn't work. You know, yeah. and even if, if, even if like you're really young and good looking or something like that, you know, um, and you get catapulted, um, you know, to fame before you're ready for it, that's almost tragic because, oh, even more tragic because, you know, you might have potential, but if you haven't cultivated it yet before you get to be well known, people are going to go, he, he sucks. Yeah. He's I've just not that. very good. He's, looks, he's good looking, but I don't like him. He, he's, he's terrible. And then. You'll, you'll be kicked to the curb and never allowed back in, even if later on you get better. Yeah, you know, so get, get good first. So that's yeah. one, know your job. Um, and uh, um, don't do it because it's attractive or even because you love it. Do it because you've always known deep down that it's the thing you do best. Like, I'm, I'm good at this, I'm good at that, I'm, you know, but the thing I'm really best at in terms of what I can do is acting. Yeah. And I just, I want to cultivate that because I, I know I'm good at this, you know, and um, it's not about your passion. This is what people want to talk about. I do it because I love it. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 love, I love basketball, but I'm, I'm not going to be in the NBA anytime soon. You know, I'm just, I just don't have what it takes, you yeah. know, and you have to be candid with yourself. So that's, I guess that's my advice. Yeah, I, I th because I do agree with you because I've seen people, especially in my, my class base and stuff like that, who would kind of get off by getting casted by their books alone. And yeah, they would be very, very bad in terms of their acting and they don't want to go farther than that because they think, oh, because I look pretty, I could just get more, uh, you know, roles alone, and people will probably cater towards that because, oh, you know, so and so is like friends with them, or they're friends. With, Look, you, you know, know and it, it's, it's, that's, that's it's it's there's so many ridiculously good-looking people in this business and out here and everything like that, you know, and some of them become famous, you know, because um, uh, they're Angelina Jolie, and she also happens to be really, really talented, yeah. you know. You know, yeah. so I mean that you know it's it's you know you you can get a modeling contract just based on your looks, but um, 
you're not going to work very long as an actor, chances are. And you said you had two more questions? Oh, yeah. Uh, one was, do you have any products that were in the pipeline or still in the pipeline that's still being finished that people could actually look forward to? Or uh, Unfortunately, no. You know, oh, okay. I was just sort of kind of gearing up for the new year. I just read for a couple of pilots, you know, um, um, got pretty far on one of them, and then everything shut down. You know, so ah, okay. I no, I have, I have nothing to report. I'll be starting all over again. And my last question is uh, social media. Do you have any social media you want to plug? Not particularly. I'm on Twitter. If, if you want to follow me, it's just under my name, Anthony Stark, Stark with an E at the end. That's pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, Anthony, thank you again for being part of my show. Uh, I hope you had a very good time with me. Sorry if my questions were very jumbled and stuff like that. I have a, I'm still in the uh, the process of a, uh, becoming a better interviewee and well, sorry, interviewer. So it's just like it's it's just it's a it's a struggle, but it's also an uphill battle. It's like what you just said before hone your craft and I think in terms of both acting and just entertainment in general just hone your craft look sure. dude dude anything anything is about putting the time in you know so don't worry about it just keep doing it until you know you, you, you know everybody you know you just it's all about putting the hours in this is another thing like that I was saying about uh, you know whether it's acting or podcasting or martial arts whatever it is it's time put in there's this there's this book called Outliers, you know, and this guy has this, um, I think it, it might be Malcolm Gladwell, like one of those, those writers. He basically has this premise, and I'm probably not getting it exactly as he would put it, but anything you like put in 20,000 hours at, okay? I don't yeah. know wh whether it's stand-up comedy or welding, um, you're, gonna, you're gonna master it if, if, if you just show up and put the time in, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, and you, you, uh, have to allow yourself to put the time in and have the time yeah. to put the time in. So it's all good. And, uh, thanks for having me on. And I hope you have a great uh, Labor Day weekend. Thank you. You too. And everyone else enjoy your, uh, time and please stay safe and wear your mask. Anyway. <laughs>